Hi, this is James Shilkin, host of Webcoms Reviews and Interviews. Today, you only had four jobs. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. First off, let's begin by telling the artist that this is your podcast. We'll be dealing with basically the four jobs of every comic artist should know about, and probably does most of them. But let's talk to the writers first, and then we'll get right back to you, okay? Writers, if you have an interest in how the artistic process for your comic goes, hey, this is exactly the kind of podcast you want. We're going to be going through all four basic jobs of the artist and giving a few interesting tips and tricks. This is going to be vital for you for your understanding in terms of how to basically deal with these artists and how to make life easier for them. Clue, figure out how to do thumbnails. If you're a writer and you have absolutely no interest in the artistic process whatsoever, seriously, what are we doing on a comics podcast? You know? So, we've taken care of the writers. We're going to ignore them for the rest of this podcast. Artist, it's all about you. Now, I know it sounds a little bit weird to be looking at the four basic jobs that you as an artist have as far as the comic goes, but trust me, we'll be looking at some interesting tips and tricks and how to make your life a lot easier. At least theory. And no, we're not going to start with a baseball bat for the purpose of using it on the writer, no matter how tempted you may be. This applies to any other form of firearm. Yeah, I know. I know the temptation has been there. But you're a cool person. Be cool. Be the art. Be the bigger person. Put that bat down. What we're basically looking at are your pencilers, the people who basically do the art in the first place. We're looking at the inkers. They take the pencils and it makes them into actual comic book art. We're going to be looking at the colors. And no, just because you do a black and white comic doesn't mean you will have nothing for the colors to do. And last but not least will be the letters, the ninja of the art world. They who do their job and then disappear into the night, hopefully to never be seen again. At least not until the next job is required. So, with that in mind, we're going to be having some fun. We're going to basically be breaking down what each one of these four people do, and more importantly, by breaking them down and seeing what they do, this should be able to give you, as an artist, a little bit better idea on how to approach various subject matters. In this case, we're looking at subject matter being, oh my gosh, I can't believe how hard this thing is. What do I do? So, we're going to help you when it comes to figuring out how to do that, you know, what to do situation. On top of that, every so often we'll be throwing a couple of interesting tips and tricks. And basically ways on how to deal with things. So, even if you know for a fact what each one of these guys do and you've got lots of experience, I'm hoping there will be something of value here for you. Even if it's just basically appreciating the history and how tough it is to be the artist sometimes. So, with that in mind, we're going to start off with a pencil. Alright, the pencil arguably has the toughest job. Basically, they're doing two things when it comes down to it. The first is they're communicating back with the writer in order to figure out exactly what's supposed to be going on the page. That in and of itself can be tough, but, you know... 
mainly because the pencil and the writer have to have a certain degree of shorthand in order to make life easier for each other. On top of that, the penciler is taking basically a written script and making it into an actual visual image, or more accurately, a series of visual images. Well, let's take those two different job sections apart for just a moment. First off, the writer and the penciler have to have some sort of visual shorthand. It helps if both of them have some sort of film background. You know, so you basically know that there were a difference between, say, a close, a medium, and a long shot, for example. You're also going to have to basically figure out to what degree detail is going to be working with your particular writer versus your penciler. I prefer, obviously, a cinematic. I prefer more of a film script. And I have no idea why I'm having a problem with that word today. But when it comes down to it, I basically do a real quick, this is what should be in the panel. This is how big the panel should be. And here's what's going on in the panel. You know, real basic film type stuff. Some other people prefer going with a prose approach, you know. They actually write down and, if, you know, they basically do a short story for every panel. Obviously, the penciler is going to have to figure out where he likes between those two extremes. The other part is that he's going to also have to determine what degree he likes being told how, the direction of the shot. Some pencilers prefer no direction whatsoever. They just want to know what's basically supposed to be happening. They don't want to know the long shot. They don't want to know the time of day. You know, they just want to know what's basically in the panel and that's it. Some, on the other hand, prefer a certain degree of, you know, cinematography. Others, well, it just depends. You're going to have to figure out some sort of way of communicating between each other. And making sure that you actually do have some communication going. You know, Peter David, who does a lot of comic book stuff, pointed out that one of the things he did was he decided he wanted a helicopter shot. Well, what happened was is that he got this incredibly gorgeous helicopter shooting people. And he was trying to figure out what was going on there. See, a helicopter shot is basically that... When you look down, it's basically a bird's eye view of the situation. You know, you can basically look at all the various characters from basically a top-down view. That's the view he wanted. He didn't want the helicopter. I mean, it was a really nice helicopter, apparently, but that's not exactly what he wanted. So, you have to make sure that you and the writer know exactly you're on the same page, so to speak, as far as the language goes. You know, you need to basically set up beforehand what you want as a pencil, what you expect to deal with, and what you're willing to work with. Conversely, you... I mean, the bottom line here is, you it's not English. It's... I mean, it sounds like English, it looks like English, but the reality is, is that you're trying to basically take written stuff and convert it into basically pictures. And the only way you can do that is if you understand exactly what the writer's trying to pull off. You know, the two of you need to figure out exactly what language you'll be using and go for it. And I'm not talking about English, French, Swahili, Russian, Japanese, whatever. I'm talking, are you going to be basically doing these really huge prose things or are you going to be using some sort of variation on a film script? The two of you need to sit down and decide and just go for it from there.
And of course, you'll have to keep in mind that you'll be going back to the writer for a lot of information. I mean, I don't care how much information that writer has and has managed to put into each different panel, there's still going to be certain details that you're going to want to discuss beforehand. Just like when we start bringing up everybody else, you're definitely going to want to have some set aside some sort of Bible. But instead of being a text document that tells the synopsis and the history of the world and how everything works and so on and so forth, you want a visual Bible. You want to have something that basically sets up, this is what it looks like, this is what it does. When this thing goes pew, 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 what do the pew, pew, pews look like, you know? The bottom line is, is that even before you start going hardcore on the comic itself, there's going to be a little bit extra work. And if you're the first penciler to ever touch that script ever, well, good news is you basically set the tone. The bad news is, yeah, you set the tone. That means there's going to be a lot more work for the first penciler. But hey, that's what you set in for, right? So... The other thing to keep in mind is the dreaded graphite versus blue pencil thing. See, in the old days of photocopying, when things were a lot more rough and rugged than they were today, you could actually use a non-photocopier blue, which was at least a sky blue pencil, to do all your drawings in. And then the really cool thing about this is that the inker wouldn't have to go back and erase everything. You know, everything was pretty much done. It was... You didn't have to worry about it. And the cool thing is that because the color, the pencil was so light, it just didn't get photocopied. Yeah, I know that sounds like a minor advantage, but when you're basically looking at a high, you know, a high stress situation where you having need a high turnaround, not having to erase things is a major advantage. And in fact, if you set your, you can still use a photocopier blue as far as the straight pencils go, scan them into the computer just keep in mind that you may not it's easier for the pencil to disappear on you the graphite pencil on the other hand while it's easier to erase and is obviously going to take up a little bit more time in order to do so has the advantage that it's easier to see also when you scan it in you don't have to get too crazy with you know just the settings too far you don't have to make it really dark bump up the contrast a little bit and all the other weird stuff you'd have to deal with with the non-photographic blue pencil. So, you know, decide which motion you're going to be using as a penciler. Personally, I prefer the graphite, but, you know, teach their own. Then you remember, I'm a writer, not an artist. So about the only time I really deal with inks is, well, month of Inktober. Alright, so once you've decided what language you and the writer will be doing and what kind of pencil you'll be using, I keep in mind you can also go straight digital, but I'm just looking in terms of if you have like drawing in real life. But once you've decided what language and what pencil you'll be using, the only other advice I can give you is to basically go with thumbnails. Thumbnails are really cool because they basically give you an idea of what's going on in the page. This means that if there's any going to be any problems with writing flow or balance or anything like that, you're going to be able to see these before they even get going. Better yet, this gives you some sort of plan for the page as you go. Keep in mind that when you're talking thumbnails, we're not talking ultra-extensive mini drawings of whatever's going on in the page. We're talking extreme basic type of stuff, you know. 
big huge square is for where they're putting buildings, stick figures for the characters, you know, real basic blocking. We're not talking anything extravagant, we're just talking good enough to get an idea of what's going on. Once you've done your thumbnails, well, at that point it's just a matter of going on and having fun with the page itself. Now, here's the cool thing, is that you can actually have the writer to a degree set up the thumbnails for you. Again, this goes back to how level of communication you want to deal with. If you can have a situation where the writer is actually doing the panels for you and is doing a really rough thumbnails for you, that actually helps you in understanding what the writer is trying to accomplish. But again, if you prefer to do stuff on your own, well, then you're going to be pretty much stuck doing your thumbnails by your own as well. And I cannot recommend doing thumbnails enough here. I mean, straight up. It's just not, it's not, once you have things organized, once you have an idea of what you're trying to pull off, then the pencils are going to be a lot easier to do. And like I said, the thumbnails allow you to organize the stuff, see where the problems are, look, get the best shot in there. And to basically have a little bit of fun with the drawing before you actually start drawing proper. So, there are some major advantages to setting up the thumbnails. And you straight up, if you're not doing thumbnails, you're missing out. You're, there's a lot of your art that's disappearing right there. You know? The only other thing I can suggest is to basically go from forward to back. That is, do the stuff that's in the foreground and go all the way to the stuff in the background. What this is going to do is it's going to make your life easier on so many levels. First off, you're not going to have to basically be doing all these really bizarre lines everywhere and having to erase everything as you go. And basically, you're just going to streamline your process. You're going to know where everybody is. You're going to basically know how they're interacting with stuff. And then you can basically go from forward to back. You know, you can do the cute little card that's supposed to be in front of the heroes. You can then do the heroes fighting. Then you can go ahead and do the buildings behind the heroes. Or, of course, you can take the approach to, hey, screw it. I'm not going to have to deal with all the inking of this. And just leave all that lineage for the inker to deal with. Yes, he'll appreciate your building to go through the people and that sort of thing. But, you know, he can deal with that, right? He's not going to complain about it. So obviously if you're inking this as soon as you're done your penciling, yeah, you're going to want to do as many shortcuts as you possibly can. And by going from forward to back, hey, you've just saved a lot of stress on yourself. So just something to consider. Now the inker has a little more complicated job than what it looks like. For some bizarre reason, a lot of people think that the inker just traces stuff. These people are morons. What the inker is doing is that he's essentially taking the rough draft of the pencils and making them more of a finished product. And believe it or not, there's actually a lot of weirdness as far as what he's actually doing. He's not just tracing stuff. What he's doing is he's making some legitimate artistic decisions on which lines stay and which lines go. On top of that, once he's decided which lines go and which ones stay, He's going to basically, at that point, be throwing in a little bit of extra detail here and there. You know, he's going to go from, these are what the generalized hair looks like, to actually doing actual hair. Um, he may add in some pimples. He may add in some 
stippling. He may add, you know, he's going to throw in some buildings, make them a little bit darker here and there. He's going to make them a little bit more reflective here and there. He's just going to have all sorts of fun. That is, he's going to use the pencils as a stepping off point, and he's actually going to create some stuff. So, there's a lot of artistic development when it comes to what the inker does. On top of that, the inker is going to be more or less setting the mood. That is, he's going to take the basic pencils that he started off with, and he's going to throw in a little bit of shadowing, a little bit of line thickness variance, and overall, he's going to create something really cool. What this basically means is that if you take two inkers and you give them the same pencils, you're going to get two entirely different comics. And that's cool. That's sort of interesting to see what they'll do with it. After all, you basically have talked to these people ahead of time and decided, hey, this is what we're trying for. Please keep that in mind when you do your inks. I mean, it's just a great inker can take really do some great stuff with the pen, with the pencils. Conversely, a really bad inker can... somebody who should not be trusted with pencils in the first place. You know, the bottom line here is to understand that the inker is not just tracing. He's actually taking the pencils as a stepping off point and actually having some fun on his own. He's actually an artist in his own right. Even if he is basing it off of somebody else's art, he's still nonetheless having to do a lot of stuff to elevate the rest of the comic. Basically, inking in and of itself is an art form that's just totally awesome to watch. With that in mind, there's going to be throwing a couple of basic tips at you. The first is, first off, like I said, line thickness. Vary it. Please, 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 please vary it. The biggest problem I have as a reviewer is when I start seeing somebody who's done some really great art, some really great writing, and every possible line is exactly the same length or the same thickness. You know, you're going to find out really quick that by taking advantage of the fact that you can actually change the thickness of a line, you can differentiate your characters from the background a little bit more, you can differentiate objects from each other a lot more. And essentially turn what's a, a flat picture and actually give it a little bit of 3D. You know, even if it's just real basic stuff. A few a few extra shadows here and there. Uh, you know, putting a thicker line around an object rather than the lines within that object. And yeah, you've got some really cool stuff going on as far as making it look just a little bit more real. So I cannot stress the advantage of going with different line thicknesses. I mean, seriously, I've been seeing some incredible artwork, but it was just flat. It was just plain, you know? You couldn't really differentiate between the character and the background, and it's just... uh, Yeah, I can't emphasize enough the importance of a good variant line. Yeah, I know, I'm looking at this like you know, legs or something. Give me some sexy lineage. But, please do. You know? It's going to make your art look a whole lot better. Um, the only other major advantage I can suggest is when you actually scan it in yourself. When you actually scan it in. You know? If you're going to scan it in, that is, if you ink digitally, which is cool, 
you know. What you're basically the ideal here is to actually set up your pencils as a bottom layer and then do all your inks on top of that. What this means is that you get a very clear ink. You can essentially do, you know, you, when you're done, you just delete the layer. And you save so much work. As opposed to if you basically had to, I don't know, were crazy enough and you did all your inks on the same layer as the pencils. I just don't see anybody in this day and age who would do something that crazy. It would just waste too much time. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense and it doesn't take advantage of the technology. So yeah, you definitely want to do that. If, on the other hand, you're going to be doing your inking by hand, at that point, seriously debate the talking to your inker about green line versus blue. You know, you've already heard what I said about then. If you don't mind taking a little bit of extra time and doing it right and erasing all the lines... You know, go for it. The only other thing I suggest is to bump up the contrast, bump up the darkness a little bit, and that should take care of all your straight lines when you scan it in. I mean, straight up, you're going to have to take it digital at some point. So, keep that in mind, and you should actually have a pretty good thing. I'm going to also point out that you might want to play around with some of the effects. You know, the Kirby Crackle is obviously except the obvious. You know, you have all those cute little black balls going all over the place. That's your Kirby Crackle. Something to keep in mind here is that you don't have to worry about shading. Shadows, yes. But not the actual shading. You can actually keep everything nice black and white. You don't have to worry about gray tones. If you're going to do that, talk to the colorist. But... The inker should only have to worry about the lines, and that's it. At this stage of the game, you're just trying to make everything sure everything gets drawn in. Obviously, your inker is also going to have to help with the visual Bible to a certain degree because there's just going to be some areas where the lack of detail that a penciler deals with just isn't going to work for an inker. But again, if you happen to have the same person who's doing all the artists, or sorry, he's doing the pencils and the inks, or at least at some point, hey, you're good to go. You know, you just want something to go to. So, just have a little bit of fun with it, okay? Alright, once you're done with the inking, you're going to basically throw it over at the colorist. Now, the colorist used to have arguably one of the more complicated jobs in the known universe. If you know the history of the C-A-Y-M-K, you understand what I'm talking about. Remember all those cute little colors you saw in the old-fashioned comics? Each one of those had its own little code, meaning that when you had a colorist, you'd basically have somebody prefer big areas rather than 27 different little areas that had to be colored in by themselves. This is sort of why you see a lot of the old comics have a flat appearance to them. But also, there's also the problem that a lot of them have those heavy, thick lines. You know? Remember what I said about thick, varying your line thickness? Yeah. Go back to the old comics and see why. But, they also tended to have a lot of flat coloring. No gradients, nothing fancy, just big, huge areas that happen to be colored like green or yellow or blue or whatever. And each one of these had its own little CMYK number attached to it. 
what that basically means is that you know, you're looking at cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And yes, there's a reason for black being just a K. Uh, there was a possibility it could have been confused with cyan, which is also known as blue. So by keeping no Bs there, you could actually go cyan versus black. But that's a minor digression. Each one of these colors would have its own CMY code. You know, if you wanted a pale yellow, you'd be dealing with a Y25. If you wanted a very thick yellow, Y100. And when you started getting other colors, well, at that point, you'd be varying the numbers. So if you wanted a green, you'd want something like a C50 versus, or sorry, C50, Y50. You know, something that was a little bit blue, a little bit green, or a little bit yellow, sorry. And, of course, if you wanted them darker or lighter, you'd be throwing in a little bit of K in there as well. So if you wanted something that was a little bit darker, you know, a K25, K50. If you wanted something that was ridiculously dark, K75. And if you wanted something that was just straight black, K100. You know, the key here is that each one of those colors had to be represented by a particular code. And as we've gotten more into digital um, coloring, well, a lot of people have, don't have to worry about those codes anymore. It's just basically establishing what the overall color scheme looks like and going from there. And again, this is where it's going to have, help to have a, some sort of actual visual Bible set up. I cannot emphasize the visual Bible enough and expect to mention it quite a few times yet. But... The key here is that the colorist will take the black and white inks and do whatever it needs to add the color. Now keep in mind, for the purposes of this discussion, I'm looking at gray tones being equivalent to color. For all intents and purposes, because they tend to change the texture a little bit, help to differentiate between characters, so on and so forth. Yeah, that's a perfectly legitimate point. You have to look at your gray tones as a form of coloring. You know? A little old school because again you're going after big huge areas versus everything having every you know lots of dots of color here and there. But generally speaking, when it comes down to it, gray tones are going to be a form of coloring have to be approached as such. So keep that in mind in this conversation. The cool thing about the color is that it can add to a mood, just as the inks can basically start setting the mood in terms of like the shadows and bright areas and so on. Well, all of a sudden, by adding colors, you can also change the look moods here and there as well. You can also better establish what time of day it is, or what time of night for that matter. You can add a little bit of depression feel. You can make things a little bit more cheerful, and so on and so forth, just by changing the colors a little bit. You know, if I want to make everything look a little bit more towards, say, sunrise or sunset, I want to make everything just look a little bit redder. If I want the characters themselves to be... You know, a little bit more shy, a little bit more easily flustered. Hey, I'll put a little bit more red into their skin tones. You know, you get the idea. The colors has a lot of really cool power. And the concept here is by using the color, they can do a lot of really great things for your comic. And yes, this applies to gray tones as well. Obviously, you know, the sunset will be more of a grayish for everything. It will be the same color grayish for everything. It'll be... Which make it look a little overcast, but you know, 
And of course, the channels will be changed and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is, even with gray tones, you can affect a lot of the same basic mood shifts that you can with basic color. Sort of a cool trick. Um, the other thing that the colorist will deal with will be separations. Again, if we're looking at old school, what would happen is you'd actually have four bits of every comic, except for a black and white one, would have four different would have four different layers of basically photographic paper attached. You know, a photographic film that you got really annoyed with? Well, yeah. The old school, what would happen is that the colorist would go back into a dark room, or more accurately, would go into a photography room, and would basically separate each one of the colors into a C, sorry, into a cyan, yellow, a magenta, and into a black skin. And then when these were sent to the printer, each one of these would be combined and that printer would then be able to take this photographic paper and, well, deal with it that way. Yeah, it, things, get, things are a lot better now we're doing everything digitally, at least as much as possible. However, you nonetheless have some people who want the separations done. That falls within the purview of the colorist. So, on top of that, the colorist will also be the one who does all the flattening. That is, he'll take all the various layers and basically put them, squish them together and whatever happens. This means that not only does he have to deal with all the coloring issues, but he also has to make sure that there's no hidden layers. And we know your inkers, we know your other colorists. Yeah, there's going to be some, there's always going to be hidden layers. The only problem is that when you flatten things down, sometimes those hidden layers become those layers that screw everything up. So the colorist needs to go in and make sure those color, those hidden layers stay hidden during the entire process. The other cool thing about doing the digital processing now is that gradients are a lot easier. If you want a red to green gradient over a particular area, it's easy to set up. It was a little bit harder back in the old days. It could still be done, don't get me wrong. It was done all the time. It's just gradients in a digital age are a lot easier to accomplish for the colorist. So that gives the colorist a little bit more fun. You know... However, it also means you have to do a little bit more flight checks. The flight check being, and I don't believe not, I can't believe how few people actually know this. The flight check is essentially just like we would if a jet was being taken over. It would be a check before flight. In this case, it would be a check before you were sending out to whoever you were doing your printing with. So, yes, our word for the day is flight check. But, with that in mind, what the colorist needs to do right before he sends it off to the letterist is to make sure everything is consistent, that all the colors are exactly where they need to be, and ideally you need to check it against the, your visual Bible in order to make sure everything looks exactly how it's supposed to be looking. He should also be looking for any obvious flaws, any other potential problems, so on and so forth. Yeah, basically what I'm trying to point out is that your colorist should basically be the last person to take a look at the comic before it gets lettered. And then when it gets lettered, Somebody should be looking over it again just to make sure. Even if it's just a real brief check. Trust me, you'd, believe, you'd be surprised at how even the smallest details that creep in and can really screw things up. Short history. 
words that have been hidden in there by the inker, words that have, uh, sorry, pictures that have been hidden by the inker, weird coloring combinations by the colorist, and so on and so forth, that were supposed to be funny, that were supposed to be some sort of political point that weren't, but they weren't supposed to be in there. That inkers can be very weird people, and if you think inkers can be colored, colorists can pretty much put them to shame. The bottom line here is that comic needs to be looked over for consistency as well as appearance, and to make sure that nothing weird's popped in that shouldn't be there. Yes, Batman, we're looking at you, and you know what we're looking for, you shameful perverts. Obviously, the letter is the last person we'll be dealing with. Ideally, like I point out at the beginning of this, the letter is the ninja of the comic book world. They get in, they do the job, and they disappear back into the night. Yeah, I know, it's a little simpli- oversimplified, but trust me, it's a pretty good analogy for what you want the letter to be. That is, you want everything to be clear, concise, and... You know, you want to be able to tell the difference between the different characters if at all possible, but it's not necessary. There are some really neat tricks that a letter can do. And before we get going on to the word balloons, keep in mind the letter's job is going to be a little bit more complicated than just the word balloons. But we'll get to that in a moment. The real quick version is that the letter used to be that they'd go in and actually write stuff in there. You know, you obviously want somebody who had some really great handwriting as well as a distinctive style, if at all possible. Of course, you can see a lot of times when it was just straight printing, when you see a lot of, you know, obviously written letter, obviously typed letters. But as we've gotten a little bit more fancy with the software, we've gotten away from the handwriting, and we're basically doing, just going straight in, throwing a font at it, and, you know, copying and pasting in the word balloons. Well... It doesn't mean that the letter's current job has to be incredibly boring. There's a lot more to it than just letting and kerning. First off, the especially when you start looking exactly what all you can do with word balloons, especially if we're looking at, say, Supernaturals, where you have all these demons with different speech patterns and different fonts and different word balloons and so on and so forth. Technically, all those word balloons still fall within the realm of what the letter is supposed to do. What this means is that when you start doing your pencils right off the beginning, you're going to need to leave a little bit of room for your letter to have some fun. And when the letter gets done, he'll have a little bit of fun, have some serious fun in some cases, and you'll come out with a really great, easy-to-understand comic. So... When it comes down to it, there's some really neat tricks for a letter that you can use. First off, obviously, if you got a situation where you've got a lot of, well, let's deal with the three word balloons. Obviously, a letter is going to be able to have a difference between what a character is thinking, between what they're saying, and what they're yelling. Those are your three basic word balloons. On top of that, depending on the character, they can also have a little bit more fun, especially if we're dealing with a comic, uh, color comic or just one where we need to differentiate the word bones a little bit more than just straight line versus, you know, you've got all these demonic figures or angelic figures that have their own distinctive word balloons. They can be a little bit on the glowy side. They can be a little bit on the red and black side. They can be made out of different squiggle marks. 
you know, so on and so forth. Basically, the letter can go in and actually set up all those different word balloons. On top of that, you can also use a different word font depending on how the character. Obviously, I'm not saying go crazy on this. Just do it when it's an appropriate dramatic effect. Like, for example, you've got an angel, you've got a devil, or you've got a mage throwing a spell, or you've got some reason for having a distinctive, different feel to the word balloon. Go for it. There's nothing that should be holding you back from anything that gives you a little bit of extra tone to that particular situation. At the same time, you don't want to have everybody in the comic having their own distinctive word balloons. You don't want them all to have their own distinctive fonts. If you do that, yeah, the letter is going to be able to look at you and go, what, are you on drugs? You know? You don't want it too crazy with the font. You want to have some fun, yeah, but don't get too crazy with it. Also, another thing to keep in mind is that you can actually bold and italicize. Italicize, you're not going to see a whole lot of in comics. You never have and you probably never will. But with bold, for example, you can definitely emphasize different words and set up some actual patterns. That's part of why they were done every so often when the old school. It wasn't necessarily to highlight that particular word. It was to basically throw up a different pattern. Because whenever you were reading through that, even mentally, you would basically accent that word. And it would help with the, the pacing of the comic just a little bit. So yeah, there was actual reason for some of that weirdness. Of course, you're also going to have to make some sort of consistency check in order to make sure that everybody, you know, all the word Balloon tails are going to where who's ever actually talking. You don't want to get too crazy with them. Now, remember what I said that the word that the letter also does stuff besides the word balloons. Yeah, when you start seeing all those big, huge, you know, shracks and kabooms and explosions and all that other stuff, t- technically all that falls under the purview of the letterer. Mainly because the letter has access to a thousand and one different fonts, they can actually simulate those a lot easier. I mean, obviously, if you can draw those in, great, but nine times out of ten, you're going to have the letter come in and do that after the fact. This means that they're going to have to establish some sort of situation where whatever coloring scheme they use for those words works. Obviously, today we'd be going in, throwing those in there with something like, say, Illustrator or Photoshop and then breaking it down to vectors, and then breaking down the borders if necessary. So the letter does a little bit more than just the the word balloon stuff. They're actually doing some actual weird stuff with the letters as well, as far as making them a little more dramatic, bigger, badder. You know, sometimes they actually do have to get in there and actually do a little bit of writing or have a little bit of fun with the word balloons themselves. But generally speaking, not only are they doing the word balloons, but they're also doing all the... Anytime you see any kind of words anywhere in the comic, well, there's your letterer. Obviously, they can add a little bit to the writing as well, or more accurately to the drawing as well. And you see them do this, well, with quite frequency, especially if you do superhero comics. So obviously when you start dealing with the letter, the letter's going to have to require a little bit more communication with everybody else in order to figure out exactly what they're trying to pull off. Of course, this also means that 
just as you've done a consistency check after the pencils were done, after the inking done, and after the coloring were done, you also have to do another consistency check after the writing is done. And this should not be a major problem. It's just you want your comic to look as well, great as you possibly can, and you're going to have to pay with all these little consistency checks. So, when it comes down to it, obviously we're having everybody do consistency checks on each other, but what exactly does everybody do again? Well, you got your penciler. This is the person who does all the rough drafts for the comic. He sets up all the basic lines, defines how the place looks, so on and so forth. Inker will come in and he'll start setting the mood a little bit. He'll be throwing in some lines, he'll be throwing in some shadows. He'll be having a little bit of his own fun in there. Then when the colorist comes in, even if they're doing gray tones, they're still setting up a lot more of the mood, setting up the time, setting up details, making things a little bit creepy, making things a little bit more bright. In essence, they're not being as tangible as the straight inker, but they do nonetheless have an incredible effect on things. And of course, last but not least, is you'll have a letterer. Letter's job is to basically make sure everybody's speaking clearly, that you can tell what they're actually saying. And anytime you see any kind of text or any kind of lettering throughout the entire comic, that's the letter's fault. You know, you want those little pew-pew-pews? Well, that's your letterer, you know? You can do all the really fun dramatic tech, or all the fun dramatic tech stuff. That's exactly what he's there for. And like I said, you, the only other clues I can tell you to make sure is that everybody has some silver level communication. Obviously, if you've only got one artist, one writer, well, those two people will be having a lot of conversations. At least ideally be having a whole lot of conversations. Um... Obviously, if you have more than one of them, those people will be having a conversation between them in order to figure out the best possible effect for the particular comic. There are some areas where the writer can come in and have some fun. If you can get the letter, the author, the writer, sorry, to do the original thumbnails, at least as far as set panel set up, hey, you're good to go. If you can teach them how to do lettering, great. And like you point out, you're not having to actually do you know, handwriting the stuff in. The fact that you can actually use the computer to do this in the various software is a major advantage and takes a major load off the of the uh, artist. Gives them a little, one less thing they have to worry about. Last but not least, and I told you I'd emphasize it a lot, is the dreaded visual Bible. What this means is that basically you're taking all the various things that are going to com show up commonly throughout the comic, the characters, their equipment, locations, their vehicles, so on and so forth, and actually setting up drawings of what these things look like from different angles. You're going to also want to do a black and white version as well as a color version of these particular items, so that way everybody can get an idea of what's going on. I mean, obviously your inker is going to look at a ray gun vastly different than, say, the uh, colorist will, mainly because of the addition of colors and grayscale, and all that other fun stuff. Having a straight black and white version will tell the inker exactly this is what it should be looking like before the color is added. Yeah, I know, it's minor stuff, but it's stuff that can basically, you know, that any kind of time you can add organization to the situation, it actually enhances what everybody's doing. You know, you're doing good. There's nothing wrong with throwing in uh, 
Bible or some additional text or anything like that. Anytime you have a detail that's going to be consistent, you want to have a record of it somewhere so that way anybody can come in and check see what's going on. And therefore, it helps, really helps with the consistency checks later on. So, and that pretty much sums it up. If this has been used to you, hey, go see us over at the Patreon page at patreon.com slash two sparrows, T-W-O, and you'll see a lot of interesting tips and tricks on how to get things done. Um, other than that, have a great day, and I will talk to you later.